following sermon was recorded at Chiang Mai Christian Fellowship in Chiang Mai, Thailand. For more information, please view our website at www.ccfth.org. Now let's move on. It's important to see this in the context that submission is, as we said a couple of weeks ago, it's part of being filled with the Spirit. That Paul is listing here five things that will be true of us if we have a life that is being influenced and controlled by the Holy Spirit. Uh, singing to another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing, making music in your heart are all signs or marks of a Spirit-filled life. And then he comes down and he says that we will also be thankful people. Uh, that should mark us if the Holy Spirit has influence and, and is working in our life. And then finally he says we should be living in submitted relationships uh, to one another. And we shared a couple weeks ago that that really means that we are going to be living in full submission to those who have God-appointed authority over our life. Okay, It doesn't mean like a lot of modern uh, commentaries and a lot of what you'll hear nowadays is that submission means we're all just nice to each other. It means being polite. Okay, submission does not mean being polite. Now, you should be polite, but submission means putting yourself under somebody else's authority. The very inherent meaning of the word implies that. All right? So uh, submitting to one another doesn't mean that, you know, well, today I submit to you and tomorrow you submit to me. Okay, it's, it's nonsense. It's an absurd use of the word. The word implies that one person is a leader and another person is a follower. Okay, and in life... God has appointed for all of us those kind of relationships. Okay, All of us must at times be leaders, and all of us must at times be followers. All right? And if you're in the role of a leader, you need to lead in a godly, God-appointed way. If you're in a role as a follower, uh, there are instructions for how we are to follow. All right? And he gives, he gives this general statement, we should live in submitted relationships. Uh, as appointed by God-ordained authority over us. And then he gives three illustrations or examples of that. Uh, One is for uh, wives in submission to their husbands. Secondly is children in submission to parents. And thirdly are slaves in submission to masters. Uh, Really by way of illustrating what he's talking about. That doesn't mean that's, that's the only or the extent of all submissive relationships, okay? Uh, and in our modern world, there are other ones, you know, and we have police officers that we submit to when we're driving, supposedly. And uh, we have all these times and places when we are in different relationships and, and there is authority and there's, there's followers, there's leaders and there's followers. So uh, he, he starts with this specific relationship of husband and wife, and Mike did a great job last week sharing the husband's part of this and his role, his important calling by God to be loving and taking care of his wife in the same way that Christ loved the church. And then Paul says, and actually prior, he says, uh, wives, you are to be submitted to your husbands. So what does that mean? Well, within the husband-wife relationship, it's important for us to understand that God has set up a divine order in the relationship. And in that, uh, as in all relationships, there is a follower role and a leader role. All right, and uh, he says, "Wives, you are to be in the follower role." Okay, now that just sells really well today. You, know, you read Time magazine; they talk about this all the time, right? How you know how important it is for wives to follow their husbands. That's what the it's not what the world says, but it is what the Bible says. Okay, the Bible says this is God's pattern or design in marriage. Now, it's interesting and it's significant to note that the the verb that's used here to submit is a passive verb, which means it's a voluntary exercise, okay? It it does not say, husbands, dominate and subject your wives, okay? Which is oftentimes how this gets translated, that it's the job of the husband to beat his wife into submission. There's nothing anywhere in Scripture that says that, all right? Submission for all of us, including wives in that relationship, is something that we are called to do voluntarily. Okay, We submit ourselves. We don't put ourselves under domination of somebody else. Okay, It's, not, it's real important for us guys to know that it's not your job to make your wife submit. Okay, That's between her and God. If you don't think she's submissive, you just need to talk to God about it. Don't talk to your wife. Okay, 
Trust me, it's not a good thing. Right? That's just between them and, and God, all right? Uh, it's a voluntary thing, and it's something that, that we choose to do in any submitted relationship, all right? We do it voluntarily. And as we see in the context here, uh, as a spirit-filled believer, it's something that we do out of our love and devotion to Christ and to our spouse. It's not something we do because we have to. If the only reason you submit as a wife is because you feel like you're just commanded, and there's no sense of awe or respect or love toward God in it, then you're not filled with the Holy Spirit. And you need to go back there and start at that point and say, God, I need the filling of your Spirit in my life to quicken me with a, a love and a passion for you so that I obey all of your commands, not just this one, out of a sense of love and devotion to Christ. Uh, so he says, wives, be submitted to your husband. And that's not enough. He says, as to the Lord. Okay, now if that's not bad enough. He uses the standard for submission, okay, God himself, all right, as to the Lord. So, so the, the relationship of a wife's submission should be somehow similar to all of our submission to Christ. <clears throat> and I think that really talks about two different things. One, it talks about the kind of submission. Uh, how do we submit? What is the nature or kind of our submission to Christ? Uh, we submit to Christ, and our submission to Christ ought to be holy and fully. Okay, We don't submit to Christ just a little, or we're not supposed to. We're supposed to be fully and completely yielded and surrendered uh, to Christ. Again, he says, wives ought to submit to their husbands as to the Lord, in kind and like what we would describe or measure as uh, our devotion or our submission to Christ himself. <laughs> but I think it also means this, secondly, it really means that submit for a wife to submit to her husband or for, in that, really as far as it goes, for guys to submit to their superiors, their bosses, their authorities, that that really is one and the same thing as our submission to God. Okay, They're not two separate things. Uh, you can't go through life saying, well, God, I'm surrendered and yielded to you. I just can't follow people. It doesn't work that way. Okay, They're one and the same thing. To love God, it says in John 15, if you love me, you will keep my commands. To follow God's command is to acknowledge his authority and to yield to it in your life. Uh, to do that to God means to do that to God-appointed authority over your life. All right. So our obedience, our submission, our yieldedness to God will, will most often be measured by how well we do that with the human authority God's put in our life. Now, for a lot of us, this causes all kinds of problems because we think we're devoted to God, but every time an authority figure in our life tells us what to do, we just buck at it, right? We stiffen our neck and we say, who are you to tell me what to do, right? You've got to understand that spirit-filled living where the Holy Spirit has control and is, is in charge of our life means yielding control of our life to the influence and power of the Holy Spirit which means following human authority figures that God has placed in our life. Okay, They're one and the same thing. So we can measure our surrenderness, our yieldedness, and our obedience to Christ by how will we follow human authority. Okay, Wives, submit your husbands as to the Lord. Okay, As, as your expression of submission and obedience to Christ. Now this, you know... Like I said, you know, you're just not going to you're not going to sell a best-selling book on this this principle. Okay, um, although interestingly, I, I was searching this, and there's actually a book out now called "The Surrendered Wife," and you really need to Google this. I don't think it was written by a Christian. It's certainly not being marketed to Christians. It's being marketed to a secular, and it's huge. This huge following of these women who are really following, in some ways, I think, in other ways, not actually following kind of a biblical model of submission. Um, as an alternative. But for the most part, this isn't popular. Um, and the, the question is, you know, does God really, it, you know, honestly, one of my problems preaching this is I look at this and I think, God, is this really such a good idea? Have you thought this through, right? All right? And, you know, I've been, a, I've been in past life, you know, I was a counselor and I, I heard, you know, women come and, and just pour out their, their complaints to me about their jerk husbands, Right? And uh, you know you hear enough of that, and you start to think, God, maybe this isn't such a good thing, right? Um, putting is it really a good idea to put a guy in charge of a woman? 
You know, guys that can't take care of their own socks. And you're, you want them to be responsible for, like, other people? Is this really a good idea? Um, and, of course, the world will tell us, you know, this has led to the oppression and domination of, of women around the world, that women suffer because of this very kind of teaching and thinking. Uh, and it's true that around the world, and I would agree that a lot of places, uh, women are oppressed and abused and mistreated uh, because of women who, because of men who dominate them. And you know, you can say this just this just makes it worse. This just gives guys a license to mistreat and abuse women. Right? So, you know, is this really a good idea? And not only that, but things have changed. You know, we're not living. 2,000 years ago. You know, women, maybe back then women were kind of dumb and clueless and uneducated and they needed a strong guy, kind of caveman guy to go out there and whack the lions over the head and protect them. But now women are much more educated and smarter and brighter and sharper and much more competent. And it's now the guys that have reverted and are dull and clueless and, you know, (laughs) stupid, right? So maybe given the culture, we should turn this around, right? And we should rewrite the Bible. I should say, husbands, submit to your wives. Because they're obviously the brighter, more competent, which I, I would agree with, okay, that part of it. Um, well, if all, and, you know, I think there's some merit in a lot of those arguments. And if that was all there would, was to it, it would be very easy to say, yeah, this is just a cultural thing. And in a, in a new modern culture, it doesn't fit or apply, right? The problem is, it doesn't stop there. And the, the description that Paul gives here transcends and goes far beyond culture. And the problem really comes in verses 31 to 33, where Paul writes this about marriage. He says, as the scriptures say, and he quotes this from, Gen- uh, from Genesis, actually, Genesis 2.24, a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two become one. This is a great mystery... But it is an illustration of the way Christ and the church are one. So I say again, a man must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must fear her husband. Uh, this, this is really pretty incredible stuff. And what it's saying here, what Paul is saying is that all the way back in Genesis, when God created Adam and Eve and he put them together in the garden and he set up this institution called marriage, that his design and his purpose in it was as an illustration of God's relationship with his chosen people. Okay? Which makes the significance of marriage and the roles in this relationship huge. Okay? Just as, just as the flowers in the field, in all their splendor and beauty and intricate grace, are pictures of something about God's character. And just as the stars in the universe and you know the, the galaxies that are just these incredible displays of God's power and majesty. In the same way, God intended marriage to be a picture of something of his own heart. And specifically his heart as he relates to his own people, his church, his bride. Right? He says this is a picture, an illustration from the beginning of time, from Adam and Eve onward. Every marriage is to be a picture a miniature portrayal of God's love relationship with his church. Right? So the, the deal is this. All of us are, who are married or who want to be married will find ourselves actors in a play. Right? And we are playing out pre-assigned, pre-described roles that portray and picture something of God's character and his, his relationship with his people. Right? So it has nothing to do with talent, ability, culture. It has nothing to do with who's brighter or who's, you know, who's not bright. It has nothing to do with who is more competent or is not competent. It has to do with the assigned roles God has given you. Right? In this play, there's no uh, tryouts. Auditions, that's the word. There's no auditions. Okay, You're kind of assigned by default. Right? Guys get to play God. Scary. And wives get to play the church. Okay, in every marriage relationship, that's what it's supposed to look like. Now, of course, secular marriages, uh, because they're not empowered and filled with God's Spirit, probably don't portray this very well. They might, but they may not. But certainly a Christian marriage ought to act out this play 
in a way that really shows the world something of God's character and nature. All right? So these are pre-assigned roles. Uh, uh, and it has nothing to do with ability, gift, value, worth, equality. Okay, uh, It's just the way it is. Because it's a picture, it's an illustration of what God is, is to show of himself in his own relationship with us. So in this, in this play, the husband gets to play the role of Jesus, who is said in Ephesians, he is the head uh, of the body, in uh, verse, chapter 1, verse 22, it says, um, And the church is his body, it is made full and complete by Christ, who fills everything everywhere with himself. Uh, I'm sorry, that's verse 23. Verse 22, God has put all things under the authority of Christ and has made him head over all things for the benefit of the church. Also in verse 415, it says, Instead, we will speak the truth in love, growing in every way more and more like Christ, who is the head of his body, the church. Um, in this play, we play the part of Jesus who is an authority over his church, who is the head of his church. And we'll talk in a minute what that means. But it is, it is a position of over. Okay? It is not a position of under. Jesus is over his church. And so the guy gets to play the part of being over, getting to be head, getting to be a leader in his home. Um, now, God, uh, just, just so you know, guys, you play the part of Jesus in your marriage relationship only. Okay, you don't play God of the world. Okay, there are limits here. Okay, you're head over your wife. That's enough, all right? It doesn't go beyond that, all right? Now, you may be given God-appointed leadership in other areas, but we're not God-universal. Okay, we play Jesus on a very small scale in a very small stage with just two people, right? So don't take your sovereignty and divine, you know, acting out too far. Okay. Ladies can say amen. You can say amen. Be careful, guys. Okay, uh, secondly, wives play the role of the church. Okay, now this is significant and important. Uh, the role of the church is not the role of, you know, the wicked stepchild, Okay, throughout the book of Ephesians, the church is described in extremely elevated terms. Okay, there's nothing ignoble or lowly about about this position. Okay, it is the bride of Christ. It is in Scripture the church uh, stands with the most highly exalted position of all of God's people. Okay, they are they are His inheritance. They are His prized possession. And as you read through the first, especially three chapters of Ephesians. Uh, he just goes on and on about the incredible blessings and privileges and status of the church, the people of God, and the extents that, that God has gone to to pour out and lavish the rich abundance of his grace upon this dearly loved treasure. In fact, he even uses that term, his treasure. All right? So to play this role is not to play a you know second, lowly, worthless part. And sadly, all too often this concept of submission gets turned into the woman as a doormat, slave, worthless, you know, nothing. Okay, nothing could be farther from the truth in Scripture. Okay, it is a noble position to play the part or role, uh, the example, model of the church. Um, so, so here's the motivation behind all this, okay? Because motiva- you know, in acting, motivation is important. Ladies, here's your motivation. Guys, here's your motivation. Okay, your relationship is to be a witness to the world of God's incredible love for his church and the church's response to that love in yielding herself as his bride. Okay? That's ultimately what God's design in marriage is. The other good things come out of it. You know, you have kids and you have family and you meet each other's needs. Those are all secondary to God's in original intent and design for marriage. That it be a picture uh, of his relationship with the church. Um, we are to be displaying his glory and grace in this relationship. Now, uh, when it comes to husband and wife relationships, okay, this is all well and good. It sounds all great when you say it in King James, especially. You read this in King James, it sounds great because you don't really know what it means, okay? But you know, when you hear actually what the words are saying. This is the this is what goes on in people's minds. Okay, 
we all know that relationships are all about a battle for control, right? It's like who's going to, and the real issue is who's going to be in control of the TV remote? That's what it comes down to, right? Who's going to get to push the buttons on the TV remote? And to, you know, to a lot of women, this sounds like you're telling guys that they get the remote on the TV. This is just lame, okay? Uh, and, and, you know, guys are thinking, yes, finally, somebody on my side, I get, the, I get to push the buttons, right? And in marriage relationships, we all know that there's this battle for control, battle for power. Uh, who gets to decide how we get to church? And I don't mean, like, do we take the car or whatever, but, like, what route we take, Right? And uh, the wife knows a way. The husband knows the way. Who's, who gets to say, right? Uh, who gets control? Who gets to tell the other how it's going to be, right? Um, in this kind of thinking, and, and when the world hears this, when people who are not believers hear this, what they hear us saying is men get to be in control. They get to decide everything. They get the balance of power. And women just have to live with it, Right? Now, in a home where Christ is not the center, that is, a, that is a problem, and that's a reality. But we as believers, as those who have Christ in our homes, that should not be an issue for us, and here's why. Paul has just gone through this whole thing, and in fact, he just got done talking and explaining about this is a fruit of being filled with the Spirit. For us as believers, all of us, men and women alike, should have already given up the control of our life to Christ. Okay, who should be in control of your home? Well, the answer, the Sunday school answer is Jesus, right? Ask kids, you know, a question. That's the always Jesus, God of the Bible, one of the three, and uh, that's the way it is. And that's the answer. It's the right answer here. Who's in control of your home? Who has the balance of power and control? If a husband who's a, a believer thinks that this is a license for him to take over and control everything and dominate his home, he's missing the point. Okay, he's not a spirit-filled person. He's not a person who has yielded control of his own life into the hands of Christ. All right. Same thing for wives. If a wife is going, I can't do this because it's going to give all the control over to my husband. It's missing the point. You should have already surrendered the control of your life to Christ. Okay, that's the biblical picture of God and His church. Okay, wives are to submit as Christ submits to the church. Well, how are we as believers, as the church, to submit to Christ? Well, we should have yielded to Him all control over our life. All right? So God's way is that we are spirit-filled believers who have submitted fully to Him and surrendered everything where He has control of our life. So now there is no battle for power in our home. If there is a battle for power, it's a sign that you know, we're lacking submission to Christ. Right? Because in a home where the husband is fully surrendered to Christ, before, he, before God and before Christ, he is seeking to serve and meet the needs and care for his family. He is not concerned about being in control of his family. Okay, for the wife who submitted her life to Christ, she is yielding and submitting to, Christ and, to her husband in obedience to Christ and letting Christ be in control of her home, leading through her husband. Okay, that's the bi- biblical picture that Paul is painting here. Um, well, what... I want to talk just a minute about these, these God-given roles. So a little bit more in detail what this means. And I want to look, Mike touched on this last week, but I want to touch because both sides of this are important to get in order, the headship and the subordinate role. And I want to highlight first just a little bit about the role of headship. Uh, Paul says that husbands, uh, husbands, this is, um, let me back up and read again. Verse 22, Wives, this means submit to your husbands as to the Lord. For a husband is the head of his wife as Christ is the head of the church. He is the Savior of his body, the church. What does this mean? Uh, Our headship is to be modeled after Christ. But then he says that Christ is the head of the church. And then he throws at the end a couple words. He says the Savior of the body. Now, for a long time this really confused me. And it would be easy to read this with the idea that somehow husbands are supposed to save their wives. You know, we're head of our bodies, uh, our wives, as Christ is the head of the church, and he's its savior. Uh, and it would be really easy in a twisted way to string this together to say, you know, wives find salvation through their husbands. Okay, well, that would be heresy. 
It would make us good Mormons, not good Christians. Okay, Mormons can do that. We can't. Okay, wives are saved through Jesus only. Okay, they're never saved through their husband. Why does Paul put that there? What is he implying or saying when he says Christ is the head of the church, the Savior of the body? Well, he's not talking so much about uh, what the, the, the husbands have a role of saving their wives. But what he is saying this, he's making a statement about what, what at the core level headship means. Okay, what is headship? Is it being a, a divine dictator? Is it being some kind of tyrannical, you know, overpower? Is it being, uh, you know, king and God? Well, what did it mean for Jesus to be head? Well, Paul throws a couple little words at the end to describe at the core what it meant for Jesus to be head. And what it meant is that he saved his, his body, he saved the church. I think what Paul, and he says it, he re- reiterates it again in the section to husbands. He says it again. Husbands, you should love your, life, your wives as Christ loved his church and gave himself up for her. What does all that mean? Well, it means this, that ultimately, headship is about responsibility. Headship is bearing a burden of God-given responsibility to care for someone else. Jesus, as head of the church, was given the, the responsibility and burden of saving and redeeming and rescuing his lost bride. All right? That was his job. Uh, he was sent to this earth for, for no other purpose or for the main purpose of redeeming his people. And that was his God-given responsibility. All right? Headship above all else, first and foremost, is a God-given responsibility. A great picture of this. We don't have time to read it, but I encourage you to read Ezekiel chapter 34. And uh, it's a passage where God blasts the leaders of Israel for failing in their headship. And he uses in there the terms of a shepherd. And uh, his, his criticism against Israel's leaders is that they, were, they failed as a shepherd shepherding the people of Israel. He says, you didn't, you didn't take care of their wounds. You didn't feed them. When they were lost, you didn't go search for them. You didn't protect them. You failed in your leadership role because you failed in taking care of the sheep and being a good shepherd. Okay? That is the, ultimately the role of headship. Now, there comes with that authority. Okay, if I'm given a stewardship of something uh, and I'm to protect it, to provide for it, to care for it, to nurture it, to be shepherd over it, there has to come with that uh, the authority to fulfill or carry out that duty. Okay? Uh, for sheep to be protected by the shepherd, they have to be with the shepherd. Okay, the shepherd's not responsible for the lost, lost sheep that wanders off and he can't find. Okay, that sheep withdraws himself from the protection of the shepherd. Right. So there's a relationship between the shepherd and his ability to protect, and it's necessary that there is some level of followership. Right, to be protected, to come under the care. Uh, of him carrying out his responsibility. Now, this also has significance for for guys, and that headship on earth, you know, there's only one head that has no head over it, and that's God himself. Even Jesus is subordinate to the Father. Jesus himself is not ruling without an authority or head over him. And he says that he's bringing all things under his authority so that one day he can give it all to his final authority, which is the Father. That means that for all of us men, we exercise headship, but we also are in a position of subjection. We also are ones who are under authority. And uh, we've got to handle both ends of that well. And as husbands, who do we account to? Who do we give answer to for our uh, stewardship of that responsibility. Well, God's the Sunday school answer again. It works every time. It's God, right? Someday, every man in this room who's a husband will stand before God, and God's going to ask you how you took care of the stewardship that He has given you in your wife and your children. Okay, and here's the deal: you can't stand before God and say, "Well, you know, my wife and I had a discussion about this." And she decided she was more qualified for this than me. So I just handed it over to her. Okay, God's not going to be impressed with that answer, guys. I can promise you that. 
He's going to say, I put you as the responsible person in this relationship. You are responsible for what goes on in your home. You will answer to me for what goes on in your home. Okay, when I was married, doing marriage counseling a lot, people would come in. I made it very clear to guys. I made it very clear to men. Men, you are responsible for the success or failure of your marriage. I don't care what your wife has done. I don't care what sin she's involved in. You are responsible before God for that relationship. To do what God has commanded you to do. All right. Now I share that, and I think Paul shares that here because when we're, sub- when we're subjected to somebody, it's important to know who they answer to, right? Okay, when you submit yourself to your husband, know that he will give an answer for his job, right? Okay, he carries a tremendous burden. And, and if any of you have been, men, women alike, if you've been in a position of significant leadership, you know what it is to carry this responsibility, okay? The bigger the position of leadership, the greater the responsibility of people under you, there is a burden and a weight with that. Okay, Jesus knows what that was. He went to the cross to carry the burden of our sin to execute his responsibility, to carry out his responsibility. Uh, it's not an easy job being a leader. And the problem is that in the world, people misunderstand leadership. They think leadership is about control, right? They think it's all about who gets to push the remote. They don't know that in God's view, leadership is about taking responsibility for those in your care. And uh, it's a serious task, all right? And so when we understand that role of headship, it ought to make it easier for us to be subordinate under that, to subject ourselves and say, I'm not going to answer to God for our life. You are. When we stand in heaven and God says, husband, stand up. Okay, the guys stand up, the girls sit down. Okay, and the girls, you should be very happy about that. Okay, there's some good news in that. All right, the guy has to answer. Okay, the role of the wife, the subordinate part. You do have a role. Wives do have a role. Um, And it really is a following role. It is a role of staying behind or under the cover of your husband. Okay, the word subordinate or subject is it was often used as a military term, and it really literally means to fall in line behind your commander. And it's a great picture. And it's significant that the very next section is one of spiritual battle. And it goes from this right into, from submission into talking about spiritual warfare and spiritual battle. Uh, It's a picture of this, of the guy who's the protector of his family marching into battle. And he's got the shield and the sword. And he wants his family behind him where they are protected. So that when the fiery arrows come, he's the one that takes the first hit. He's there with the shield. Right, uh, you know, I have this picture in this image, and I've seen it too many times, of wives who who refuse to follow their husbands, charging out into battle, and taking the hit, right, getting beat up, getting you know abused, shot at, because uh, they're not under the protective care of their husband. Now you may say, well, I was under the protective care of my husband, and he wasn't doing his job, but I still got shot. <laughs> okay, well, that may well may be, and your husband will answer for that. Okay, but the solution is not ditching him and taking on the enemy on your own. Okay, because God has not designed it that way. God has not intended for women to be taking the lead, charging into the fray. All right, uh, you're protected when you are following, when you're clearly behind the protective authority of your husband, because that's the way God set it up. All right. Uh, in Ephesians, he says, he says, our, as ladies, the example for the ladies is the church. Ladies are to submit in the same way the church yields to Christ. Um, uh, I'll invite you to go through the book of Ephesians and look at that. There's some, you can do a whole study on how Paul teaches about submission to the church, of the church to Christ. But let me just highlight a couple of verses. Um, I read Ephesians 1, 22 and 23 that speaks of Christ being head. There is, a, there, is a, there is an element of authority and rule. Okay, Men are to be servant leaders, but they're still supposed to be leaders, not just servants. Okay, we get that confused sometimes. Servant leaders, but they're to be leaders. There is authority and rule involved. Um, Ephesians 2, 20 and 22 says this, Together we are his house, that's Christ's house, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, and the cornerstone is Jesus himself. 
We are carefully joined together in Him, becoming a holy temple of the Lord. Through Him, you Gentiles also are being made part of this dwelling where God lives by His Spirit. Part of our submission to Christ as the church is His indwelling us. It's an intimate, personal relationship. Okay, so for women, part of what it means to be submitted is to, is to be in an intimate relationship with your husband, to be connecting with him. Uh, Ephesians 3, this great prayer where Paul writes, Then Christ will make his home in your hearts as you trust him. Your roots will go down deep into God's love and keep you strong. And then you will have power to understand, as all God's people, how wide, how long, how high, and how deep his love is. May you experience the love of Christ, though it is too great to understand fully. Uh, That's part of the submission of the church is receiving and accepting God's love and grace in our life. Same thing should be true in marriage. There should be this great receiving and sharing of of love, not of our own only, but of Christ. Uh, Ephesians 4, he talks about giving out the gifts. Part of submission is receiving the gifts and benefits and blessings from Christ. Uh, the church submits to Christ by receiving his teaching and by living according to his principles. And he talks about that in chapter 4, uh, living according to the standards and principles of Christ. Uh, it says in chapter 5 that we're to be like him and we're to know what pleases him. Okay, These are all pictures of what it means for the church to submit to Christ. Right? And they're instructive for what it means for wives to submit to their husbands. Uh, finally, in chapter uh, 5, at the end, he says, So again, I say a man must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must fear her husband. Now, I don't know what that's about, okay? <laughs> I'm not even going to try to explain that one. But that's part of what it is for the church to stand in awe and fear and reverence of Christ. And he says those things should be modeled as well in the marriage relationship. So so just a cap here, the the extent he gives some very clear directions about the extent of this relationship of submitting. He says, "We wives submit your husbands as to the Lord." Uh, he also says at the end of verse twenty-three that we are to submit to wives should submit to your husbands in everything. This is not just a spiritual arrangement. It's not just yielding and subjecting to your husband in spiritual matters. He says in everything, uh, the husband is the covering for every area of her of his wife's life. That doesn't mean a wife can't work outside the home or have other authorities that she will in her life. But the husband would be the supreme authority under Christ. And finally, with fear. Uh, you know, I don't, I don't know what that means. I just don't know. You can pray about that one. Um, let me close with just a couple practical thoughts. Uh, that, that's what Scripture says. And I invite you, if you struggle with this and you go, I just can't, this can't really be in the Bible. I invite you on your own, before you, God of the Holy Spirit, your Bible, study what the Word says for yourself, okay? Don't take my word for it. Um, prayerfully look at what Scripture teaches. But let me give some practical things. And this is kind of outside of Scripture. So if this doesn't make sense to you or you don't agree, uh, this is my effort at trying to apply this. Um, what does this look like in the real modern world? You know, we don't live in the same world that they did 2,000 years ago. How do we do this in our world, right, where women have different roles? Women do work uh, outside the home. Uh, women run companies, you know. How, how does this work? What does this look like? Well, first thing I think it's important to keep in mind is that uh, women in the world is not equal to women in the home. All right? One mistake that the church has made and that a lot of Christians make is they apply this universally to all male-female relationships. Okay, That's not implied or intended here. What he's talking about here is specifically a relationship between a wife and her husband. The Bible does not teach here, and I think you'd be hard-pressed to prove it anywhere else, that men are generally over women. Okay, That's not biblical. Okay, there's nothing in Scripture that implies or teaches that. And we've got to be very careful in how we run organizations and institutions outside of the home that we don't put on those organizations things that God intended only for a marriage relationship. Okay, he doesn't say women submit to men in all in, all, in every relationship. Okay? 
you may work in an organization where you have a woman as a boss. You, that's God's appointed authority over you at that point. You have, as men, just as in any other relationship, the duty before God to submit to her in that relationship. All right? um, if, a, if a woman police officer pulls you over, you better pay the ticket. Okay, That's God's appointed authority over you in that situation. And if you broke the law... You know, it doesn't matter. You got to f- yield to that authority. All right. Um, second thing, uh, a lot of people see this as a call for women to be doormats. Okay, this has nothing to do with that. And um, I don't know. I don't know why it is, but when we talk about wives in submission to husbands, we take husbands at the top highest possible denominator. And we tend to put women at the lowest possible denominator. So if it was a military model, the husband would be the general and the wife would be private first class. Now, why is that? Okay, why is that? Okay, there's nothing in the text or in the Bible that implies that. In fact, very much the opposite. And, and the picture here is that if the husband is the king, the wife is the queen. Okay, not the Sunday school answer, but it's the queen. That's right, she's the queen. She's the highest and noble position right next to him, right? Okay? This whole doormat thing that for me to be submitted to my husband means being like slave and, you know, becoming lower than the Maybon or whatever. I don't know how to picture that. It's not biblical. Okay? The, the word subject or submit has nothing to do with being subservient. Okay? The word doesn't play anything about serving, by the way. Um, it doesn't mean that a wife is the slave of her husband. Okay, the word is not implied. That word isn't in the text. It's not there. Subject any, any more than if you're an employer, if you, if you work for somebody, you're their personal slave. Right? Okay, it's, it's a working relationship of an authority and one under them in a subordinate role. All right? And for husbands and wives... They ought to be right next to each other. One step, just, you know, husbands ought to be just one small step uh, above their wives, not, not 50, all right? And uh, it ought to be a high and uh, royal, it ought to be a position that wives occupy great dignity and worth, all right? Um, certainly, the church holds great honor and worth in Christ's estimation, Okay, the church is not Jesus' slave, okay, or wicked stepchild, or whatever. Uh, decision making. Okay, this is a fun one. Uh, how does this work with decision making? Uh, that the husband is in his head. Does it mean he always makes the decisions? Um, good question. Uh, here's my take on it. Uh, when you look throughout the. It, it's interesting to do a study. We don't have time to look at the passages, but read through the, the Gospels, all the parables about servants and masters, right? The, the, the parable of the talents, the parable of the wicked steward, uh, parable of the, uh, the guy who built the grapevine and rented it out and went away to a foreign country. In all of those parables, you get this picture of a guy who's in charge who has those who are subordinate to him to whom he gives tremendous responsibility and leaves. Okay, right? Parable of the talents. What does the guy do? He says, here's a bag full of money. Go have fun. When I come back, I want more money. Okay, he gives a job. He has a responsibility. He says, I'm going away. Do your thing. When I come back, there better be more money, right? Does he micromanage them? No. Does he make any decisions for them? No. He says... I've given you a responsibility and I expect you and I entrust you to have the smarts and the wisdom and the skill to handle it. Figure it out, right? When I come back, give me an answer. And this is a great model for how headship and decision-making ought to work. Uh, headship is not about making all the decisions for your family. What it is about, though, is that when we, when we hand something, a responsibility to our wife, guys, uh, give them space to do their thing. You know, they're smart, they're bright. You married them because they were intelligent. They thought you were a good person, so they must be smart, right? Or they wouldn't have married you. And uh, give them credit and let them do their thing. What it does mean, though, headship means that all of our decisions are accountable to the one we're in 
authority under. We must give an answer. That's what it means. All these parables, they, in the end, had to give an answer to the master for how they handled that responsibility. Uh, I really believe that you know, micromanaging people is not biblical. Okay? We, have to, we, we have to recognize people's gifts and abilities, entrust them with responsibilities that they can handle, and then step away. Let them make decisions. Let them do their thing. Let them, as agents of God, gifted and called and appointed by Him, do their thing, recognizing that, that they do give us an answer. There is an accounting. And the accounting goes both ways. Leaders need to give an accounting to those who follow them. Right? Uh, we don't just make decisions without giving an answer. Talk about getting yourself in trouble, guys. It's a good way to do it. Right? We give an account. And the same thing goes true for those who follow so, so it means identifying those areas where we have responsibility and operating in those, letting those people make decisions. Okay, things work much smoother that way. Uh, it involves a lot of communication uh, both ways, but it means that we support them as leaders and get behind them to be more effective in carrying out their duties and their calling before God. Okay, lastly, real quick, limits of submission. Uh, you know, there's the famous, but what ifs, right? But what if the husband is an unbeliever? Okay? Well, that, that is a problem. And that's why Jesus said, don't marry, or Paul said, you know, don't, don't be unequally yoked. Don't marry unbelievers. Okay, well, maybe they got saved later. There's a lot of possibilities. Does this apply? Well, there are certainly are limits, okay? Uh, whether the person, the head, the husband's a leader, believer, unbeliever, a woman never submits in a place where there is sin or abuse. Okay, there are limits. Okay, if a husband is doing things that are sinful or abusive, you don't sub- subject or submit to that. All right, you have uh, a submission to Christ that that covers you, and and you don't submit to those things. If you're in an abusive relationship, don't stay there. Okay, get help, get out. Uh, you, you're not cons- compelled, and that's nothing to do with submission. If, if you have an unbelieving partner, uh, there will be limits to their headship spiritually. Okay, They will be head over many areas of your life, but they won't have the same ability to lead you spiritually. So you have to take that into consideration, and there will be limits there. Uh, maybe your husband is a believer, but still just a jerk. Okay, Well, if he's not sinning and he's not abusing you... You still have to submit. Okay, jerk is not a, an exemption, sadly, right? Any more than for husbands, if their wife is being a jerk, they don't have to love them, right? We, before God, have to follow his instructions regardless of the response or character of the other person. Now, let me say this. All of you, all of you ladies who are single, all you middle school girls, high school girls, college girls, whoever, on up, who are single. Okay, there's an important lesson here. Very important. Okay, when you start dating, you start falling in love with some guy, the number one question you should ask is not, you know, how much money does he have? It's a good question, but not number one. You should not be asking, man, is this guy hot, good-looking, whatever? Okay, good question. Okay, important. Not number one question. Um, the question you should be asking is this. When I marry this person, I am agreeing and uh, and, and signing on before God that I am going to subject my life to this guy's leadership. Okay, I in, in getting married before God and agreeing to submit to His authority. What you ought to be asking is, can I can I put myself under this guy? Okay, he may be a good-looking, wealthy jerk. Okay, can you really put your life under him and let him? Govern your life, all right? Uh, girls, think, you know, think. Find a guy that's himself yielded and, and surrendered to Christ, all right? Who you know his leadership in your life is going to be one that will lead you into a deeper, fuller relationship with Christ, okay? Even if it means being desperately poor, you'll be much happier, right? You'll be much happier, um, you know, 
sadly, the world has this idea and this notion that if women were to do this, they would be giving up all their freedom. And I would just close with this last example from our own personal lives. You know, the, the lost world would say the same thing about becoming a Christian, right? If I, as an unbeliever, yield myself to Christ, I will be giving up my freedom and my life as I know it will be over. Well, it's true, your life will be over as you know it will be over. But the truth is, we know, having passed through that, that it really is the beginning of a kind of freedom in life you never dreamed possible before, right? Uh, in Christ, we have a freedom because when, you know, here's the deal. I, it was, it's better to be second to a king than first to only yourself. You think about that. It's better to be second to a king than first to only yourself because you're a very small thing. Kings over kingdoms. Okay, if, you're, it's, if it's only about you, it puts you in a very small box. An unbeliever wants to live to themselves. And then realize that when they do that, they confine themselves to a very small cell. When you live to Christ, you open up the whole universe to yourself, right? Same thing I believe is, is true in marriage. When we will, in any relationship, when we will submit to the authority God placed over us, it's, it's the beginning of a new kind of freedom. The ability to experience life on a much broader scale than if we decide we're going to be master of ourself. All right, let's pray. Father, we just thank you that, uh, that nothing in, in our life is random or arbitrary, that everything is designed by your hand and your will and purpose. And uh, certainly that's true of marriage. And uh, as you created Adam and Eve in the garden, the beginning of creation, you had a design and a purpose in what you were creating. And like everything in the Old Testament, it points to Jesus. It is a picture of Christ and his church. So Lord, help us to see it, uh, what we're involved in in marriage in that, in that perspective. And uh, Lord, help us to push away the lies of the world and the lies of Satan that have so confused and twisted uh, the minds of, of modern people. And Lord, to the world, this sounds like foolishness. Lord, help us to see your design in it, which is anything but foolish. It is beautiful and it's good. It's, it's the best and it's the path to true joy and happiness in a relationship. Uh, Lord, I pray for every marriage here and every single person looking for marriage. Lord, that, that these marriages, that our lives would be pictures of your grace, of your great love relationship with your church. Um, Lord, help us play our part well, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.